Hello and welcome to Hacked Off Lockdown, episode four, the final episode of our lockdown mini-series. And sadly, probably not the end of lockdown for most people who are listening. Um, We planned for a four-part series, so we're going to end it here and and move on to to different topics. But it doesn't look like lockdown is ending anytime soon. When I was planning this four-part series and we put together notes for what we'd like to cover in each episode... What I put down for this episode was the longer term effects of the coronavirus, the longer term effects of working from home and that kind of thing. Um, In the first episode, we were looking at kind of short term changes, talking about phishing attacks, that kind of thing. I talked about the impact of working from home on employees. And I think the second episode, talking about everything from security risks of working in a shared apartment to mental health and that kind of thing. And for this episode, I wanted to look at the longer term stuff how things are going to change, not this week, this month, but for the rest of the year. And to do that, I was talking to some friends, talking to some of the, the pen testing team members here, and um, just trying to get a, a grip on, on what they think is going to happen, how they think it's going to impact them, that kind of thing. And generally, whilst this podcast is unscripted, I don't know if you can tell, um, I do write six or seven bullet points. Sometimes the team are kind and, and they're giving some bullet points of, things to cover so that I have a coherent story and, and I don't forget to mention something that I wanted to mention. But when I was writing the, the bullet points for this episode, um, they were coming across of pretty negative, really. Talking about, to be honest, you know what? Lockdown sucks. I think a lot of people are maybe feeling that. So I'm going to try and end this episode on a positive note. Talk about something a little bit different, something that we're announcing uh, today and, and end on, on an upswing. Before I get into that though, before I talk about what I've got planned for that, um, some follow-up from previous episodes. So we're in episode four now, and in the previous episodes we mentioned some of the risks, um, how things might develop over the initial coronavirus period, and I just wanted to follow up with some of those details. So I guess the the first one to mention, which shouldn't be shocking really, but it kind of always is whenever I read about it. Um, If you remember back in January, we did an episode on Travelex. Travelex got hit by ransomware. It was a, a really impactful event for that organization. December 31st, they were um, hit with ransomware. It locked out their organization. It's been a huge story for the last few months. Maybe drowned out recently with the coronavirus situation, but it's a big thing for them. And I heard, kind of no details, but I just heard from uh, a friend, they'd paid the ransom. So before I sat down to record this episode, I thought, you know what, I'm going to search, I'm going to get the details, I'll, I'll mention it in, in follow-up in, in the um, episode, and I just did an online search for Travelex ransomware. And the third hit down uh, is actually an older story, and it's from the 14th of January, and it's titled, Travelex says it won't pay a ransom to crooks. And then just above that, it turns out that Travelex has paid the ransom. They've paid um, reportedly $2.3 million to the group behind the attack. Man, it's, this, it's crazy. It's a huge uh, amount of money. And I guess it shouldn't shock anyone because, as I always say whenever I bring it up, ransomware is not new. It's three decades old. Um, but yeah, that's uh, it's probably not great news for, for the wider information security community. But something to keep an eye on, something to, to look through. And I'll, I'll certainly be interested in the, the kind of follow-up from, from that story in terms of you know the lessons learned, that kind of thing. 
But yeah, we did an episode on Travel X about them getting hit by ransomware. And the latest um, point on that is they've paid the ransom. And I think this kind of uh, really plays into one of the things that I wanted to, to raise on this episode, which is, you know what? A lot of attacks, a lot of the kind of um, outcomes that we talk about, they're not new. You know, um, ransomware, three decades old. Extortion, fraud, they're all they're all really old. And um, it's something, something to keep in mind because I know a lot of organizations have been really, really busy the last couple of weeks with business continuity stuff with making sure that, you know, they, they can get through this um, period, they can get through lockdown or dealing just with the operational side of things of making sure staff members can work from home, making sure staff members can, can isolate, they've got the equipment they need. Dealing with um, risks around things like what if a server goes down? If we send everyone to work from home, what if there's a problem with the office? And uh, I wanted to, wanted to make a point about you know things like the physical access risk so now that everyone's working from home for a lot of organizations you know our office is secure could i personally take the risk and go and break into a lot of offices and have um access kind of without having to worry about talking my way past staff members and things like that because just nobody's there so i'm looking through and i'm looking at this series of stories about yeah ransomware still going on and I, I stumbled across a, um, a document from the FTC in uh, the US, ftc.gov. It's published yesterday as I record this, so that's April 15th. And um, it covers the period January 1st to April 15th, so the first quarter of 2020. And um, we mentioned in lockdown episode one, the, the phishing risk around the coronavirus. And I just wanted to bring this in as, as the kind of second point of follow-up. We talked about how um, threat actors, the, the real attackers out there, uh, are going to use the coronavirus as a scenario to try and coerce, to trick members of staff into clicking links, into scams. Um, and we talked about the ethics behind that in terms of security testers doing a similar thing. Would it be fair for a pen tester to um, build a phishing scenario around um, the coronavirus, and as, as I expected, talking about that, we've got a really polarized response. Some people saying, well, the real attackers do it, so the security testers should do it as well. And some people taking the exact opposite stance and, and saying, absolutely not, you know, ethically, you, you can't do that because you don't want to dissuade people, you don't want to um, pressure people into avoiding trying to gather information about, you know, the latest health guidance, the latest guidance around staying safe, those kinds of things. That was interesting as a, a point just for follow-up. For yeah, actually, we mentioned that in a previous episode, and it turns out that there's a lot of disagreement there. But this FTC document I mentioned um, kind of just confirms that, yeah, of course, the, the real attackers are using COVID-19-related fraud. And the figure that the FTC has put on this is for Q1 of 2020, the US has a total fraud loss of $13.44 million. So this is online shopping scams, phishing scams, text messages, uh, travel scams, that kind of thing. It's kind of all grouped together. The report breaks it down um, into which is the, I wanted to say most popular, but I guess that's the wrong word, uh, most common in terms of uh, reports that they've received. Uh, and, and from this report, I can see it. Uh, travel and vacation related scams, the number one. They had um, 18,257 total reports. It's pretty huge, but yeah, that figure again, 13.44 million total fraud loss because of COVID-19 complaints. So yeah, surprising. 
as a figure, but probably not surprising as, as a concept. We mentioned it in the earlier podcast. Yep, attackers are going to be using this, so you need to bolster that security awareness training. You need to make sure that staff members are aware of that phishing risk. And uh, another thing that I noticed, looking for kind of security news, things to to uh, add detail to follow up, one of the things that came up, it's not really a thing we talk about a lot on this podcast, and, and I guess I really should um, mark it down as a story for another time and do an episode on it, but it's, um, it's nation-state level attackers. Very often we, we shrug these off as um, not meaningfully impacting a lot of companies. And we're talking about that kind of political side of attack. So um, nation states compromising each other's machines for the purposes of nation state level activities. You kind of um, separate that and say, most organizations won't be impacted with this because threat modeling demonstrates it. But there's an advisory release specifically about North Korea, and it had some interesting details in there that I thought I'd share with you. Some interesting details in terms of different kinds of attacks that we need to be aware of, um, but also just the, the politics side of things, which I figured would be um, interesting, if maybe not directly relevant, but worth talking about nonetheless. But starting with the, the kinds of attacks. Um, why do you shrug off um, nation state attacks? Well, that stuff isn't relevant to all organizations, but it should be pointed out and, it, and the point should be made that there is a blurring. And I'm certainly seeing this more and more in the research that we do, um, a blurring between nation state attackers and traditional threat actors. And I think this um, DPRK cyber threat advisory from the US uh, that I'm gonna quote in a second kind of really, really draws that point. Um, so the US uh, released a cyber threat advisory on North Korea, on the North Korean cyber threat yesterday, so April 15th, yesterday as I record this, and um, it included some of the um, attacks that North Korea has been tied to and some of the details around that. And the reason I wanted to bring it up is a lot of these, some organizations might not consider in the nation state context. So some of the, um, they refer to them as cyber activities, but the kind of um, things that this group's been up to um, cyber-enabled financial theft, extortion campaigns, crypto jacking. Um, those are the three that they initially highlight. And you might not think of things like crypto jacking in the context of like North Korean attackers. You might think of that in kind of organized crime senses. And um, there is a blurring between those two things. This um, advisory, it goes on to talk about some attacks that I think companies should be paying attention to. A lot of talk has been done recently, and certainly on this podcast, I've done a lot of talk recently about um, ransomware and phishing, but it's important, whilst there's news details coming out about those, it's important to, to bear in mind that there's more attacks than those, and you can't just hit the most common attacks. You know, you need a, a broader range of understanding of what attackers are up to. So I guess extortion campaigns and crypto jacking here are two things that are worth talking about. Um, crypto jacking... If you haven't heard of this, kind of a variation um, on some of the stuff we've talked about previously. Um, if you compromise a user's machine, you could install ransomware on that user's machine, lock them out of it, demand a monetary ransom for them to gain access to it. A lot of people understand that. Very common attack. We talked about it with TravelX. Crypto jacking is, is different. This would be um, compromising a victim machine and using its resources to mine digital currencies. So Bitcoin and that kind of thing, but generally altcoins. So uh, monetizing the attack, but in a different way, not locking that user out of that machine, but using uh, resources. This could be 
um, subtly, so compromise a large number of machines, use a small portion of the resources on all of those machines so that it goes unnoticed, or it can just be <laughs> using as many resources as possible until the, the uh, user works out something's wrong and, and takes some action against it. So cryptojacking, different attack. We have seen it in a few different places. Um, I remember talking a little while ago about the ICO's website getting compromised. This was back when we were talking about the British Airways attack where um, some third-party JavaScript got um, altered. This is the merge car attack against British Airways. And when, it, when I was talking about that attack, I mentioned the ICO's website got compromised in a similar fashion. The difference there being for British Airways, it was the theft of payment card information, whereas for the ICO, that was a cryptojacking attack. So the attackers um, placed uh, script, JavaScript, within the ICO's website through this um, third-party issue which mined, you know, altcoins. So if it's an attack you haven't thought of, it's a variation really, but it's something to consider. And it's definitely, I think, that time for organizations to start looking at, you know, the, the wider protection things. A lot of organizations have been um, kind of heads down at the moment, worrying about business continuity stuff, operational stuff. And maybe now is the time to start pushing out and looking at um, the security program, how, how is your security program going to be different? Have you pushed back pen testing activities until a later date whilst you deal with operational stuff? Well, now we're three weeks in, four weeks into lockdown. Maybe it's time to start looking at those things. Just before I move on, uh, I mentioned um, extortion campaigns. This is on the um, DPRK cyber activities list. Um, extortion campaigns, things like ransomware again, but, but uh, can be a variation on that. Um, and I thought it was interesting. There's little detail in this here. Um, DPRK cyber attack cyber actors have also conducted extortion campaigns against third country entities by compromising an entity's network and threatening to shut it down. So this is again a, a variation of the same thing. So instead of compromising a machine and then uh, installing ransomware and, and locking them, the users out of that, it's compromising a machine and then threatening to shut that machine down, threatening to perform a denial of service attack, something like that, and demanding a, a ransom in exchange for not doing that. But the interesting detail here was, um, in some instances, cyber actors have demanded payment from victims under the guise of long-term paid consulting arrangements in order to ensure that no such future malicious cyber activities take place. That is a protection racket. That is a cyber-enabled protection racket. And it, um, it isn't a thing that I had thought of previously. So yeah, there's a lot of old stuff going on. Ransomware's been around for three decades. There's a lot of um, kind of business as usual stuff for the attackers. And if you've moved through business continuity and you're just starting to get you know, your feet back on the ground now looking at um, your pen testing plan for the next year, these things are interesting. These details are interesting. And these variations on attacks are something that you should build into your um, threat models. Maybe nation state attackers aren't within your threat model, um, but some of these attacks branch between nation state and um, criminal organizations in general. So phishing, ransomware, crypto jacking, extortion campaigns. There's a lot of different kinds of attacks out there and you need to make sure that you've considered them. And that's uh, enough kind of um, follow-up from the previous podcasts. I did say that. Um, I wanted to end this podcast on some good news. I've been talking to the team about how they're doing with lockdown. Some of my friends are furloughed. I've been talking to them about um, how they're dealing with their situation. Now they're spending a lot of time at home and um, not working. And I heard a lot about um, 
people struggling with motivation, struggling to, to get things done, either because they've got a difficult work-life balance now with working from home, being in the same environment all day, every day, and that impacting them. Or some people who are just, you know, at home all the time, um, looking after their children maybe 24-7. It's kind of impacting a lot of people um, in different ways. But I hear, heard a lot from different people, kind of motivation was, was a difficult thing. And I figured when I was putting together my notes for this episode that a lot of this stuff that we talk about, like, hey, let's talk about crime for 15 minutes, a little bit depressing. So I wanted to end up on a, a good note. And one of the things that I don't talk a lot on this podcast about is is what Sakama are up to. So the company behind this podcast, I don't mention them so much because I like this podcast to be um, educational. I like this podcast to be, um, you know, generically interesting without it being any kind of like sales element, that kind of thing. Just like talking about security news and, and sharing with you things that you should be interested in, educational content, that kind of thing. But um, a very slight detail from that today. Um, Sakama have um, announced something that I thought was just great news and that I wanted to share with you to leave today's podcast, to leave our lockdown mini series on a positive note. Um, Sakama has today launched a £500,000 charity support fund to help charities protect themselves from cybersecurity threats. The Charity Support Fund initiative will enable vulnerable charities to strengthen their security at a time when opportunistic criminals are defrauding individuals and organisations. We've talked about all of the different kind of attacks that have taken place. And because of the situation, um, the charity sector has taken a hit because of the impact of, of COVID-19. And we want to ensure that the cost of maintaining secure systems, websites, applications, um, is not prohibitive. So the Charity Support Fund is designed to help charities get the security they need where it might otherwise be cost prohibitive. There's some con- terms and conditions and details, and those are available on sakama.com. If you are in that field, if you work for a registered charity, if you're representing a charity and you want more information, but that was it. Just wanted to mention that briefly. There's the Charity Support Fund available for registered charities. Check out sakama.com for the details. And that's it. I will leave our lockdown mini-series there on some positive news. Thank you all for listening. We will return to our regular scheduled programming now. I'm going to try and line up some more interviews with some security researchers. Those always go down really, really well. It's going to be a little bit harder uh, from the recording technical side of things with everyone still being in lockdown, everyone still being remote. But I'll try my best there to get some interesting guests on. Turn scheduled programming as normal. And um, yeah, that's it. Um, try your best to remain positive in lockdown. I know it sucks. It sucks for us too. But stay healthy, stay safe, and I'll see you in the next podcast. Thank you.